0: there's been a huge clamoring about wanting to bring back Bottom of the Barrel <clears throat> in the absence of Eron. Uh, we have not felt like there was a, a valid contender, but we've brought Mike Venitulo. I cannot pronounce your last name. Yeah, Venitolo Montavani. See, he's yeah. uh, very Italian. Yeah. Uh, he's also from the Northeast, so like he brings a diverse background. Um, he's been my copy editor for two years now.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. When was the last time you were in Iraq? Uh, 2018.
1: Yes, because the first time we spoke on the phone, I told you, I believe I said, be careful. And he said, don't worry, we're not killing anybody anymore. <laughs> and, that was how, and that
0: was how you signed
1: off. I said, I think I'm going to like this job.
0: <laughs> well, and, and it's hilarious because I didn't really grasp who Mike was. A, uh, like, I don't know. You want to give a quick 30-second uh, round the world of, like, what life with Mike was like before sure. you moved to North Carolina? Well, let me give you a quick uh,
1: fun fact about my name. Only person in the world with my name, which I don't know if many people could say. Really? I, I mean that I know of. I, okay, I doubt there. So, so my mother was Venutolo. My yep. father is Montavani. When they got married, my mother hyphenated; she became the first. Venutolo. This is in like
0: the fifties, right? Sixties, sixties, seventies.
1: Okay, they got married in like seventy four. Okay, so so my mother became the first Venutolo Montavani. My father just stayed Montavani. They had my sister in seventy nine. There were two Venutolo Montavani's. Had me in eighty two. Thus, we became three. My sister got married, took her husband's name. Mother passed away. So I'm like a Jersey Shore uh, Chin-Gach-Cook. Chin- I appreciate chinjagchuk. <laughs> I'm the last of my kind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no. So I grew up on the Jersey Shore, um, in a weird part of the Jersey Shore that my wife, who is from the South, is this okay? This mask?
0: Yeah. So it's 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 super weird. I also want to go on record saying like Mike lives in a house with an immunocompromised person, and he is both ballsy for entering into the Thunderdome with a uh, patient zero. <laughs> And also cautious, because he's wearing a mask. He, uh, he clearly, hell, I mean, honestly, I feel like this bottom-of-the-barrel podcast, we should talk about COVID from a completely uneducated perspective.
1: I'm, I'm completely uneducated, <laughs> I mostly things. So, so I grew up on the Jersey Shore. I lived in New York for many, I went to college in Philly, lived in New York for many, many years. Uh, got sick of it
0: after many, many years. And oh, uh, What were you doing in those many, many years? Mostly working in music. Yeah, yeah. Mike was basically a professional roadie, or musician, or... Producer. Yep. <laughs> like he's doing the, finger uh, counting. counting on the fingers. <laughs> uh, I worked for a record
1: label for many years, a label that s- some listeners might be familiar with uh, called Matador Records and the Beggars Group, which was uh, 4AD, Rough Trade, XL, uh, and then various imprints. And we worked on, um, I mean, records mostly in the smaller indie rock vein, but also like. Um, uh, Vampire Weekend The XX Queens of the Stone Age So you know Shit like that So most of my time In New York Was spent doing that And I had my own band On the side And my own band Was starting to have Some success So I quit that job And hit the road With that band in, full In full a van time. In a van Full time
0: At and what age? Too old Yeah no That's what I want to know
1: 30 <laughs> 32 I think I want to say When I quit 33 maybe <clears throat> and toured for the next several weeks. but I've been touring since uh since college um uh before I started working at the label I was working uh you know I would go on tour with bands as a as a roadie or as a tour manager I never did sound but um uh uh and then playing with my own band for many years doing crazy shit 250 shows a year for like Jesus. four years yeah because before we quit our jobs we were we were doing we became known in like New York as like the band that plays way too
0: much so essentially mike is a weird redneck liberal musician
2: yeah yeah i'm not a redneck i'm
0: a piney <clears throat> yeah he's a piney well he's, i'm not i'm not a a real piney would smack me for <laughs> saying that
1: i am of the pine barrens yeah yeah but, right on. But I'm not a pioneer.
0: Mike routinely surprises me. So recently, uh, one of the reasons he jumped on is Mike wrote a piece about, so Mike had you'd never shot a gun before, right? Never held a gun, never shot a gun. Yeah, he's he's like a odd, not pacifist. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, I guess uh, the practicality of the world is that people kill each other, but also, like, I'm kind of against it. I'm not against it. I don't feel that I have the authority to do it. See? There you go. It's um, like a Buddhist thing.
1: It's kind of like a... Now, now, that would change if I were given the authority to do it. <laughs> if someone were trying to kill me, um, that would change. Uh, but, I, yeah, I won't... I'll go out of my way. I'll kill a cockroach, but on the whole, I don't...
0: I try not to kill bugs, mice, mm-hmm. you know, catch and release. Uh, fuck a cockroach, though. Mike is, like, one of the most... like positive and interesting people i've ever met we will not have i i predict we will not have a podcast where we talk about a hate crime um that you've committed I I got suspended from school for making anti high school for making anti semitic jokes. Oh, well, you mean you didn't know any better, right? Well, I married a Jewish girl, so yeah. I think I'm. I think I'm. A, oh, Ray, Ray, that's also what Hitler said about Eva Braun. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, Why do no. all these people think I'm so bad? That's right. No, <laughs>
1: no, no, no hate crimes um, to speak of. Uh, after the uh, yeah, after the
0: suspension in the 11th grade. Trust me, when I was in uh, 11th grade, I also was completely oblivious to race issues and uh, thought that, you know, like everything was cool. Right. Well, here's the funny thing is that being an Italian American, what got me in trouble was I had made it
1: written a joke about uh, a Jewish classmate eating matzah balls. But I spelled matzah M-A-Z-Z-A <laughs> because I did, <laughs> you didn't know how to spell it. Well, I smell like pizza. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As an Italian-American kid might. Uh, but the grand irony of now having a Jewish son, technically, my wife is not. She is Jewish, but she's, she, she's what she calls a, a food Jew. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't, you know, she's culturally Jewish. Yeah, but she doesn't. She go doesn't the temple. She, no, she does. Oh, oh she yeah. does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. yeah. Uh, but, she, you know, she does the celebration. She doesn't. But the funny thing is that, technically speaking, Judaism tra- travels down the maternal line. Yep.
0: So my son is technically Jewish. I'm paternally Jewish, therefore... Apparently, I am like a third-class citizen. Oh, yeah. But yeah. the best part about
1: it is that in about... When, no, going back to what I said before, I'm actually not... I'm no longer the only Vinitola Montevani because our son has my name. Yeah. Even though my wife didn't take it because no one no one should be pregnant Bro, with is, this name. This is
0: what I fucking love about... <laughs> like, we're the weirdest people. I literally went through this whole thing yesterday about, like, my parenting where Kim my soon to be ex was discussing
1: your parenting of your own children or the yeah, way you were yeah, yeah. parented.
0: No, okay. no, I'm wearing my own kids where yeah. I'd like, man, I feel like I've really come a long way from like where generationally we're really progressive and open-minded and we're doing the right things. And then Kim was in a position where she was talking to somebody about some of the parenting that we'd done. Right. And they were like, is Doug, mentally fit to be a parent and and she was like I don't know but it seems so normal in the context of our relationship right. and I love when you're like okay so I have a hyphenated last name because my mother was super progressive in the 70s uh, my wife was like fuck that name yep <laughs> New- Newman is a whole lot easier to write on my driver's license <laughs> totally and then you're like oh by the way we gave it to our kid because why not well the reason we gave it to him was because of the uniqueness yeah
1: um, it, it, it I assure you that if I had a the way I feel about that whole thing, if I had a more normal last name, he would have
0: her name because she did all of the work
1: after kno- after knocking her up yep. and until
0: the day he was born, I did fucking nothing. Except- See, this is a good example of how progressive this conversation is. I
1: mean, I held her when hair back when she vomited. Yep, you know, I rubbed her feet a lot. Got a good
0: smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I get it, man. Um, but, you know,
1: but 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 so there are two of us now in the world. So I'm no longer Chinchas Cook. I am. uh I guess we're the uh, not the Daniel Day-Lewis character, but the other guy.
0: Um, oh, my God. What is his name? I don't know, but he was handsome. Yeah, dude. For he, sure. He was a good-looking Native American. Um, but well, the funny
1: thing is in about 12 years, 11 years, if he wants to, it'll be his call. Uh, but my son very well could be sending out invitations for the Venetola Montavani bar mitzvah, Ooh. which
0: is fucking hilarious. Exciting, yeah. We're gonna have pork rolls, <laughs> and uh, I am pretty sure it will be difficult for you to find a rabbi to oversee this. <laughs> well, speaking of
1: hate crimes, I act, I may have act well. It wasn't quite a hate crime, but the first time Emily brought me to Rosh Hashanah, there's a very famous bakery in Jersey City, and it's hard to get there before they sell out because it's right next to a fire department. And that morning we were able to get there. And I was like, give me a dozen sausage rolls. And Emily thought it was so hilarious, didn't tell me. And again, this is my ignorance with Judaism. So you brought those sausage rolls to a Rosh Hashanah to gathering? Yes. And Emily thought it was hilarious. Well, it is funny, actually. And her family was fucking was mortified. Mortified? Mort- yeah. Except for one guy who was like, took me aside. I was like, yo, show me where you put those sausage rolls. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so happy that I was bringing something and, and, and you know. Uh, Grant, now this goes to show you what kind of where in New Jersey. Hey guys, I'm a WOP.
0: That's (laughs) right. That's right. How he's doing? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So Mike had never shot a gun. Mike had been working with us, like he'd been working with me and Brian for, I mean, I don't know, a year Year and 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 a half. Yeah. And he like came to us was like, hey, I want to write this article for Medium that's about me, like a musician from the Jersey Shore, learning how to shoot from two green berets. Right. And I was like, dude, that sounds fucking awesome. And he was like, are you uh, you sure? I was like, yeah, man. It's like, <laughs> I was like, dude, I mean, medium's a great, like, they got tons of reach. It's a great way for us to get a lot more exposure into what we're doing here at Softly. And um, plus, like, Mike's super cool, so I knew whatever he was going to write was going to be awesome. So we went to the range with a freaking jack stack of guns, and freaking we shot a bunch. And Mike wrote a piece about it that was in production at Medium for, I don't know how long, three months? Long, a long
1: time. Uh, So it was commissioned. So basically someone reached out to me at Medium because they have their official channels. Yep. Jen and Level and Zora and whatever else, Elemental. And someone at Jen had reached out to me saying, we're doing this new series where writers do something that they've never done before. And I was like, great. I just started working with these. <laughs> these Yahoo's. These Yahoo's, yeah. <laughs> and I, do you want me to go shoot, shoot a gun? And they were like, yeah, we're all in on this. So went, we did it. Went through, I think, six rounds of edits with the editor. And then the editor left. And I forget the exact timeline, but at some point in there, there was a mass shooting. And the new editor who came on was like, we
0: can't run this. That was Doug. He's, hung, he's getting hungry. I um, made the mistake of letting both my dogs in here, and they've become friends in the last few months, and they play. So I have like a Chihuahua mix and a lab that want to play all the time when they're not getting attention. So it's like it might, <laughs> there might be some tail wagging hitting yeah. the table yeah, and some barking.
1: You'll hear the occasional tail wag. Yeah,
0: sorry. Um, yeah, so then the new editor killed the story, um,
1: and so I spent the next— Six months, maybe? Well, you kept shopping it. Shopping it everywhere.
0: Everywhere, right?
1: Probably 25 to 30 different outlets.
0: Well, and hilariously, the piece is not anti-gun at all, but it's definitely very much like Mike wrestling with the idea of shooting guns personally. Yeah. And it's, therefore, it has a very, like, NPR-ish, like... Anyone who's a card-carrying Republican that reads it is going to be like, "Well, this hippie like, yeah. doesn't," you know. He doesn't I expect underst- I expect a good amount of hate mail. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't ex- he doesn't understand the Second Amendment? You know, like right. okay, cool, man. <clears throat> also, I thought it was like a super open-minded piece from somebody that hadn't, like, that had a generally ambivalent attitude towards guns personally. Sure, and uh, it got picked up by Guns and Ammo. Got picked up by Guns <laughs> and Ammo. So here I am <clears throat>
1: writing about you know. Um, The next piece I have coming out is about the first elected Muslim woman in North Carolina history for the bitter southerner. And, you know, these culture pieces that
0: I write and I never thought I'd get a byline in Guns and Ammo magazine. No, for sure. And it's even better for us because like Brian took a bunch of pictures while we were out there. And like the Guns and Ammo is just like, oh, you got pictures to go with it, too. Like, so we got Brian's pictures and your writing in there. And the editors loved the piece. The, one of them said, uh, it's a shame you're not a gun guy because we love this. And we want you to write more. I'm
1: like, dude, I don't have to write about guns. Like You guys <laughs> write about other, because they're owned by um, Outdoors magazines. Okay? Okay. Not outside, Outdoors, okay. which is a different company. <clears throat> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, and, 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 and to be clear, and, and, and there's, a, there's a very important line in the story, like, I'm, a very, I'm super pro Second Amendment. As your listeners are listening to this, saying like "fuck this guy." Well, dude, I mean, it's funny. <clears throat> I think we have a mix, <laughs> right? Right, but I, I am, I understand its value. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wish some people who claim to take it seriously would would not be resting on their laurels as shit's going down around the country right now with, oh, yeah. with the with the tyrannical government they claim to loathe so much as it's being enacted.
0: <laughs> well, it's crazy because like we're in a real. Like, this I mean, opens a door for a different conversation too, which is to say like. Uh, it's a really weird time to be a freedom-loving American because the only people that seem to be standing next to freedom are people that most freedom-loving Americans dislike right. intensely. Right. Like anarchists, fascists, or, you know, not fascists, but anarchists, communists, Um, you know, <laughs> college professors. Yeah. I mean, dude, honestly, I have a visceral dislike and hatred for all of the people who are currently struggling against a tyrannical government. Sure. And it's super weird to see all of my friends who are, like, pro-America supporting a tyrannical government being like, yeah, man, we support warrantless arrests. We support... And it's all because of the destruction of property. I'm going, man, like, this is a really weird and slippery slope because, like, like, we're... I mean... And we're talking about groups of people who are not typically well trained, <laughs> like right. They, they think they are. I think they are. They're like, we're going to exercise our right to carry guns. Like, watch it. We're going to use the. We're going to use the system against itself. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. You guys should probably go to the range more. <laughs> I have a cousin who uh, I, I don't
1: speak with very often, but he often he posts on Facebook and stuff that he's training today. I'm like. Yep. Well, what? Well, first of all, what does that consist of? <laughs> what, and what do you mean, training? Swords in the garage? Yeah, like what? What? what you, you know, and 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 he's very much a Trump guy. He's very much. But again, it's like, do you? You know, do you hate? Because in your in your in your silence, what that tells me is that you hate radical leftists more than you love our Constitution.
0: Well, it's weird because. Radical leftist's sole desire is to destroy the Constitution. Totally. Also, they're using the Constitution to their advantage. Also, Which we should all be doing. the things that they're trying to protect are honestly (laughs) things that are protected by the Constitution. Like, the idea that you can express radically leftist ideas in America is constitutionally protected. And, like, it's crazy to be like, all right, so these people who want to slay the fatted calf, whose tit they're sucking on... We support them. And then you got, like, the, the 3 percenter side. I mean, you got a bunch of untrained people carrying guns around and acting like idiots. Right. Well, and on the
1: other side of that coin is the if you don't like it, you can leave people who... No, no. If you don't like it, you change it. Yep. That's the foundation no, of the yep. entire fucking country. They left so that they could, you know... Yep. And, and, and so either side is basically... They're fighting
0: against the thing that they claim to... There's so many logical fallacies (laughs) that are tied up in emotion because of how we feel about certain things right now. It's fucking crazy. I mean, like... The cognitive cognitive dissonance is is stupefying. Well, the thing that kills me is, like, I don't even know where I stand anymore. Like, because the cognitive dissonance is so much. Like, I've argued with Kim about it where it's like, you know, where I'm like, I hate these people. And she's like, why? They agree with almost everything you agree with. Like, maybe the fundamental tenets of, like, you know, what you believe government to be or freedom aren't necessarily in line, but almost everything else lines up. And I'm like, uh, shit. Shit. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't like the way they look. I like, it's like, it's like a a Dungeons and Dragons convention got together and decided to carry guns. And I'm like, you know what, man? Like, you guys are all losers. Like, I think the thing that bothers me the most is that, and this is a little deeper, but uh, as someone who has partaken in Civil War in other places for like the last 15 years. Right. I don't think that people in America have any understanding of what they're asking for. And right. like, it's cool to go and have some riots in major cities and like get in fist fights with cops and not go to jail or maybe go to jail. Like who knows? But like, you feel like you're making a difference, but like the idea that we're like, that they're sparking a civil war or that they're going to like, I mean, dude, no one is ready for that. Right. Like, they don't understand that, like, you can't hide anywhere. The movement has to continue to grow without you. Right. You will die. Right. Period. Everyone is going to die. Like, it's not like like going to Iraq in 2011 um, and building tons of relationships with a bunch of ISOF guys and, like, having, you know, like, people. I'm like, man, I'm close with a lot of these guys. And then coming back in 2018... And being like, yo, where are these dudes at? Because, like, we have done 20 years of war, and, like, we've lost, you know, hundreds of Green Berets, but, like, we know them by name. Right. That's, when you know, hey, man, I knew so-and-so, and and I knew so-and-so, and you can touch names of people who died, that's one thing. But you ask questions like, well, who's still around? And in Iraq, no fucking body is around. Right. Period. Right. They all fucking died. Right. Literally. And you're like, well, what about so and so? No, man. Everybody died. Yeah. And they say that they're like, everybody died. You're like, what? But what about uh, like, what about so and so? No, he died too. And you're like, what the fuck? Did anybody survive? Like, oh no, nobody survived. And you're like, um, that, that's the future, man. Right. If you want to live by the sword, it's you know, like, hey, um, you better brace yourself for the understanding that like the movement that you're creating better be so much bigger than you that you can go on without it because, like, this... Uh, Americans all think that this whole rugged individualism myth thing right. has gotten, like, way out of control. Sure. We all think, like, oh, I can do this thing on my own. Yeah, well, well y- which is what we've been... <sighs> It's a lie we've been sold. Yeah, well, yeah. it's dude, it is it is founded in the fact that we love to read fiction here in the United States. Sure, and sure. Fiction is centered around a hero, right? And that hero is the one that motivates everybody. Like without Katniss Everdeen, where would the movement be? Right, she'd be. It would be nowhere. We'd still be tossing over you know like minor raids on trains and area or section whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, like, but District that, One.
1: And uh, yeah, and also like I've always said, you know. And again, as a as as an ardent, just despite being, you know, the line I use in the story is, I'm not anti-gun. I'm anti-me shooting guns. And as a as a as a person who ardently believes in and supports the Second Amendment, um, and the, and 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 the the checks that it
0: provide, like you have to be willing to go there. Oh, yeah, I mean, to use it, and, you know, to take somebody else's life. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
1: and, and I've always wrestled with the idea of, A, you know, what good is your little AR-15 going to do against the United States Army, you know?
0: Um, Which is a super valid point, by the way.
1: Like, <laughs> yes, it is technically, because we have the numbers, you know, to quote the movie Airheads. Yeah, yeah. They got the guns, but we got the numbers. You know, that's the thing with law enforcement. You know, it's, it's the myth that they're more powerful than us because they have— well, they have, the, they have the laws. They have the law. But they also have, you know, the weaponization. The reality is for every one law enforcement officer, how many citizens are there in America? And it's the same idea with the military. However, the difference is is that, like you said, law enforcement are not necessarily spending as much time on the range as you guys are. They're not training. They're not, they haven't been trained. The, so let me ask you this. How long would Joe, you know, Joe 2A last? In a to quote you guys in a tick, with I don't know how you would say it an an alpha, a, a, a,
0: with uh, an ODA with like a SF team you mean sure well I mean it kind of depends um, uh, sure
1: there are tons of variables like, we no love doubt. to
0: point to the Revolutionary War where like an organized military of British regulars well like, they had, fought in a way that made them targets like, and well not only that but but back then they had the exact they were they they were capable of, of 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 procuring the exact same armament which technically in a in a conventional conflict, uh, most—I mean, minus, minus some heavier weaponry. Right. But I mean, the idea that we would use heavy weaponry in the United States is like the—the the problem is with uh, the thing goes so deep right now, right? Sure. So like, hey, we have the National Guard; they're going to come out, and we're going to give all of them twenty bullets to like defend property and make sure that things don't get crazy when it comes to rioting. Um, I mean, I think Joe Two A and your average National Guard guy are probably pretty comparably trained. <laughs> I mean, sure. they're pretty comparably educated. The equipment level is going to be a little different. The organizational structure might be slightly different. <clears throat> but what i found, like with natural disasters in the United States when working with the Guard is that um, private citizens are much better organized and have better communication systems to address things like national disasters than our federal government does. So, really? like, yeah, when the Guard gets activated for things like, like hurricane assistance and stuff yeah. and, and the Brownwater Navy is is around, too. A bunch of rednecks from Louisiana with John Boats and, like, bow flying radios do a way better job of communicating, um, directing effort, and, like, being... From an operational and tactical level, they're dramatically better than a large bureaucracy waiting for orders from the top. Well, I'm a lot of that reason, I'm sure, is because, like you said, it's a large bureaucracy.
1: But also, and this is a point that I've seen made... Brian has made. I've seen make this point. You know, uh, the point I just made about your your average citizen taking up arms against a trained army. You know, um, well tell that to people who have fought in the Middle East. Yeah, who have fought in Iraq. So that so those guys in Louisiana,
0: there's a big difference in that. Those guys do that all the time. They travel around. It's become their their hobby, right? It's like Team Rubicon or whatever, where it's like, hey, we're going to come and we're going to provide better targeted. Uh, assistance to people. Like, we're going to get them out of their houses. We're going to bring things to help them out. Like, we're, they do good work. Right. Um, I think that... And especially in rural communities where God knows how long it might take for. Well, and, you know, they're so limited. Like, the Guard, I mean, in general, on the ground, when you think about tactical forces, like uh, the application of tactical forces, you have to have such an overwhelming... Um number of, tr- like, troops to do something because right. you have to maintain a logistical base. You have to, like, send guys out. There's, like, there's an organizational structure that guys are adherent to, and there's a limited amount of taskings they can actually go and hit. And when you talk about, like, 2A guys, right, like uh, the, the pro-freedom, I might use my AR-15 to defend the Constitution, like, you know, like, the, <laughs> the tree of freedom needs to be watered with the blood of patriots, blah, 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 right. these guys... Um, <clears throat> the reality is that if they organize, they can do things that you can commit sabotage and subversion and insurgency with like one and two main groups that are super cellular in nature. So like the idea is, like it's really uh, it's impossible for a centralized bureau- bureaucracy to control those things because it's so diffused. Right. So like that's what we see in Iraq and Afghanistan is that. Like, for the sake of our talking points and briefings, the organizational structure, we keep it clear because we need to think about it that way to address the issue. But on the ground, it's much less organized. And, like, guys are doing things with a little bit of direction, but um, initiative is their standard operating procedure. So it's like, I see a target of opportunity. Like, I've got these resources. I'm going to make it happen. Um, We can't. you, You can't fight that. And what it does is it creates instability. It erodes the rule of law and things like, you know, uh, I mean, like if you look at Portland, right? Like, I mean, what, what are we doing in Portland? Like businesses, in addition to COVID shutting down businesses, now there's like nothing going on because you've created so much civil unrest. I mean, Minneapolis, right. same issue. Um, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to open the doors to their business because it's like, I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of insurgency. Yeah. Now the problem is what, what we are really good at is that we counteract insurgency with extreme violence, which is a Galula principle, David Galula, this whole thing. And, uh, the, (laughs) it's like we go in and we like root, root out the bad guys. And in the process being a little heavy handed, we do things like rent minivans and arrest people on the streets for property damage with, you know, federal agents, which in turn turns more people against the central government creates a negative atmosphere and like it's a snowball rolling downhill. It is. And and and, and, you know, to 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 go back to the Hunger Games analogy,
1: it's like when is when is that flash point gonna be? When can
0: we actually have a fucking conversation? This is what gets me right. Like the reason that we're doing this is because people feel disenfranchised. Right. Like violence is the tool of a completely disenfranchised population. Right. And ironically I think that in America Everyone is disenfranchised I mean it's the very reason that we have and not to get
1: into politics In, in well, we've already waited in a little well, <laughs> But it's the very reason that Donald Trump is the president, you know It's the very reason that that Bernie Sanders someone has a chance. Yeah, yep, because people are so fucking disenfranchised with you know they see those two as and I've said this a hundred times as polar opposites they're they're the same coin they're just <laughs> different sides of it, and people are so fucking disenfranchised with you know uh, whether whether or not Donald Trump has done anything to quote unquote drain the swamp. The swamp is fucking real, and nothing gets done and and that has led to the disenfranchisement and now. Like you said, it's a snowball effect because what happened was there was this disenfranchisement,
0: and then Trump was elected, and then nothing happened. Like, well, there was an odd disenfranchisement even when Barack Obama was president, sure. right? Like, I mean, the people who voted in Donald Trump were the people who were the most upset about eight years of Barack Obama. And I mean, I think that on a surface level, what we really see is different personalities as figureheads. Sure. It's not really about different policies or things like everybody that is in D.C. is trying to figure out how to take more of your money out of your wallet. Well, yeah. And give you less say yeah. over what your regular day-to-day life is like. Yeah. And I think that there's, <clears throat> there's an interesting majority in America that is very comfortable with their day-to-day lives that is willing to cede any personal freedom for the sense of safety, like the idea that they're being taken care of or that things are going to be okay, sure. or you know, like, and, and I get that. I'm I feel very much that way, you know. And I don't actually have a beef with those people. What's funny is I think that the people who are like pro revolution are like, those people are weak, and like, you know, you're like, right. okay, man, but like, that is the majority of every peaceful population, totally. Like, a- a- another good example is like, I am. You know, politically, I'm very, I'm ultra progressive
1: um, when it comes to uh, civil rights. When it comes to human rights, uh, I'm relatively conservative when it comes to uh, 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 financial stuff. I don't want to call myself a fiscal conservative because I feel like that. Love that phrase. Fucking means nothing anymore. But you know, when it
0: comes to it, you know what I am? Fiscal conservatism used to be anti embezzlement. Sure. Right. It was like, hey, man. It's that's... like Antifa. We should all be anti-embeddlement. Well, we should all be anti-fascist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we've created a name. I mean, like, it's like, well, fiscal conservatism, it's not what it was. No. But I mean, the reality is that you're paying tax dollars to a central government to, like, oversee, you know, interstate and international commerce now. Yeah. And for, like, a good management of a road system. And potentially we've opened discussion about if there's a health care thing. You know what I mean? Like what are core human rights? You're paying taxes to provide for those things. You're not paying taxes for a bloated, uh, like incestuous, like kind of circle jerk of money, which is like, well, if you vote for this then I'll give you money for that. And like, they're all just sitting around stroking their tiny penises, hoping that nobody looks in their pants, which is a
1: byproduct of the two party system. Yep. I mean, that's because you have to, I mean, and this is one of the reasons why ultra progressives You know, they have a purity test that no one will ever pass because you can't exist in a world of politics while being totally pure. You have to play the game. But what I was gonna say is that my, like, the way I stand is like, and if it makes me a socialist, then I'm a fucking socialist. Well, I think you probably are. If some, if some, (laughs) if some, but I'm also a capitalist. Yeah. But if some little kid, when it comes to human rights, I very much, if some little kid doesn't die, If my, if me paying more in taxes, meaning some little kid, one little kid in America doesn't die of a preventable fucking disease because his parents
0: had access to healthcare, then yeah, go ahead and tax me. Well, and our, the problem is too, that like that problem is so fucking deep. Sure. Like, oh, you start peeling back the onions. Like when I'm like, hey, when are we going to have a conversation? And when I do, and I routinely, like, I feel like in general, I try to be pretty understanding of other people's opinions and things. I mean, like I have opinions. Sometimes I get heated, but like. I try not to do it in an argument because passions overrule fucking conversation. Yeah. But, um, like, I don't think anybody wants the kid to die. No. However, comma, like, there are different things that people put priorities on. And when we have a grounded conversation about things like healthcare in America, like, oh, shit. You start to go, like, okay, well, this is a problem. And then quickly you're, like, well, that's also a problem that contributes to that problem. And then suddenly you realize that, like, like it seems very insurmountable. People and that's why people I think are like throwing their hands up and they're like fuck it like let's change some things and we talked here about like hey if you want to make a change do it at a local level right like municipalities still set a lot of rate of local law it's nothing
1: more important than voting in your local election
0: oh and knowing who the fuck you're electing and mm-hmm. you know what's funny is like if a thousand votes put somebody in office which I mean that's what it is mm-hmm. at a local level um, dude you can change the minds of a thousand fucking people mm-hmm. or five hundred easily and. The person that got elected with 500 or 1,000 votes, you need to know them. Right. <laughs> like, I don't mean just read their policy stuff, but I mean, like, if you're in any city in America, for the most part, and you want to meet somebody that you're voting for, you can go meet them. And you can get a sense. Like, most people have a pretty good spidey sense. Like, this person fucking sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want to vote for them. And if you don't like somebody and they're running for office and 1,000 votes is going to be what puts them in office, Find somebody that you do like, get with your friends, right. and be like, hey, I think it's super important we vote in this election because the person that's running sucks. We pick this other person that we like more, right. and we want them to advance these agendas. It's actually not that complicated. Well, here's a here's a good real-world example of that. Something that came up
1: in, I believe it was the Brutes Facebook group that, yeah. that our the friend wore. Group. Yeah, the secret group. Sorry, I'm sorry. The yeah. uh, the unnamed Facebook group um, about the militarization if that's the right word, the militarization of one's military service when it comes to public office. Because a person lied about that they were ranger qualified. They, Ran- they were a ranger whereas they
0: were only ranger qualified. They went to ranger school. They were not at ranger regiment. Right. Okay. So I don't know what the difference of that is. Obviously you do. Um, it's a huge difference. I'm and sh- if you ask anyone who's at ranger regiment, they will become irate. Uh, that's not a ranger. Right. Alright. Like, right, cool, man. So,
1: my, but, but a good example of what you're saying is I've, I fucking personally hate when, and I get the reason why you have to do it, but when political candidates campaign, when they lean so hard into their military service, it it, it drives me insane, because to me what that says is that, and I don't know how you feel about this, you don't, you, there's no way to be more patriotic Service doesn't necessarily indicate patriotism. Now, granted, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a love of your country that is deeper than my love of my country because I've never served in the military. what defines patriotism is the way you act in your community for your community as far involvement yeah, yeah yeah involvement so what drives me insane is when i see these people and again i get it especially in red states where that is such a big deal maybe this is me having grown up in new jersey but like it's just well why did you serve did you serve because you had one day designs on becoming a senator and you knew this was this would make good commercial material or
0: and to go back I mean, to mean to be fair i think that there are there are indeed a laundry list of people who serve specifically because it's a resume builder. Right. But and I don't actually fault people for that. I don't fault them either, but it just drives me. It it it, it chaps my ass. Well, it sucks when they, that is their only position. Right. Right? So, right. like, if you're literally, if you want to talk about your service 24-7,
2: okay. Cool.
0: However, what if else you joined they? as an adult specifically to pad your resume right. for a four- to six-year enlistment, and especially if you are a direct commission, I we're I mean literally talking about Pete, Pete, Pete Buttigieg right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm actually. My
1: my point is that I met Cal Cunningham, okay, and talked with him at one of the. Uh, um, it was in the wake of the. George Floyd. No, it was before George Floyd. There was a there was a gathering at the Peace and Justice Plaza in Chapel Hill, and I chatted with him for a while. And let's be honest, Peace I, and Justice Plaza is a mouthful. It is. Let's <laughs> let's be honest. I was probably going to vote for Cal Cunningham anyway, yeah, because Tom Tillis is a piece of shit.
0: See, there you go. But, <laughs> but. I, on principle, I won't vote for anyone whose name has an extra H in it for no reason. Oh, it is pronounced Thom, actually. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but 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 in talking with him, I was like, you know what, like, I, yeah, this guy's not. I, I need not be as virulent, uh, you know, toward this guy as I because, like you said, he's a member of my community, not my community. I believe he's a Wake County guy, but yeah. yeah. The point is, I had a conversation with the guy. You know, and it changed, it didn't change my mind. My mind was made up in that Tom Tillis is a piece of shit. Um,
0: But you felt better about the guy you were going to vote for. felt better about the guy I was going to vote for. Yeah, it was not the lesser of two evils. We're not like voting for this dude just because. I mean, (laughs) it's it's a weird, politics is such a weird fucking thing right now. Uh, It's crazy. And I don't, I mean, I feel like everybody that's, I mean, blanket statement, but everybody that's in politics is just a waste of fucking flesh. I mean, like. it's like, oh, I'm going to make a difference. N- n- no, you're not. you're not. Like, literally, you're not. The people, like, eh, the voice of your constituency will be drowned out by your personal fucking desire to fucking progress your career. And you will literally look at yourself in the mirror every day and be like, I'm doing the right thing. Well, so much of that has to do with the money that's imbued into politics.
1: I mean, I think a lot, if, if again, there's no, there's no catch-all, there's no cure-all. If you take money out of politics to an extent, which... You know, this is a super progressive. I know this is fucking impossible, but in an ideal world, when these people are truly public servants, when they're not making six figures a year, when they're not making a quarter million dollars a year because of the money that's in politics, then you would see a change. Obviously, that's never gonna fucking happen. That's true,
0: man. I mean, we saw that the freshman class of 94 or whatever, right? Where like, Scarborough and a bunch of, like, uh, unorthodox freshmen yeah, all yeah, came yeah. in with Newt Gingrich, I right. might add. Right. And the uh, stance was they were like, we're two-term guys. We're coming in. We're going to make a difference, and we're going to, like, make sure that the next class of guys imbue our views and that they will be different people. And, I mean, Newt Gingrich stayed for fucking ever, right? right. I mean, and, and a lot of the guys stuck to their, their, um, their guns. But, I mean, like, uh, in the end, I think once you're there and you feel like, well, I've come this far, It would be stupid to stop midstream, like, I'm making a difference. And And to be crass, you know, once you've tasted the pussy or once you've had the dick, you're not fucking... I think (laughs) that Congress would be really, really wise to go by the uh, truism that there's no pussy like new pussy. And, uh, you know, just keep keep it fresh. Keep people with different ideas rotating through there. Like I don't, I, I fundamentally disagree with uh, AOC. Sure, I think, I think, and I think she's stupid. And all of that being said, it's not because she's a woman. Sure, <laughs> it's just because I think she's a she's a New Yorker. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's a simpleton, man. All of that being said, like uh, I do, g- greatly respect the fact that I think she represents her constituents. She does well. She does. I think that she has mobilized um, modern you know, communication platforms and ways that other people should take lessons Mm -hmm. from. And I I think that that's like having a fresh, uh, flow of ideas in Congress is good. And I think that if her constituents think that she's being an idiot, they're going to vote her out. Um, I also think that if we, if, if AOC was looking for a like-minded replacement to fill her position eight years from when she started, then, it would look, you know, it would be a different process as well. Right. So being like, okay, who are we grooming for this? Right. What are our long term agendas? Because obviously, the person who's gonna be there for 80 years is gonna stagnate. Because, like, I'm gonna be here forever. Like, I mean, my, my constituents are never gonna make I mean, Maxine Waters or right. whatever. Like, you know, right. and I'm why, never
1: leaving. Why do you, because, and, and, and again, so much of that is a function of what we just mentioned in that you, you're, people aren't educating themselves in the process of local elections. Which is why you see these people who are 14, 15, 16 term
0: senators, congressmen. But And the worst thing that kills me is those people, like, um, a lot of them are just, like, their views are so archaic. Sure. I mean, it's not even like, okay, you know, this person thinks that, um, you know, I don't even know where to start. I mean, the, the level of racism and— Oh, yeah. And misogyny displayed by sixteen-term senators casually, casually with no, openly, yeah, 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 and like, oh, there's no, there's no consequences, and you're going, well, how did this person keep getting elected?
1: Right, because I mean, because no one's reading about, and they're just they're, they're checking the box, and, and 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 it's for them, it's a lot
0: of them are are even in a lot of cases are running unopposed. Well, and people feel like their votes don't matter. So voting, voting mobilization isn't. And, you know, I mean, I get in a national level election, like we were arguing with my mom about this the other day on a national level election. It might be easy to feel like, oh, well, I'm wasting my vote if I don't vote for the lesser of two evils. And I'm a big like vote your conscience kind of person. Totally. But I definitely think that like at a national level, it's easy to feel like your vote doesn't count or that you're wasting it. I think that what we really are talking about and should focus on is the idea that at a state and local level, your vote does count. Fuck yeah. I mean, like really and truthfully, like very routinely, people are getting elected by like two to 20 votes. And like you showing up at the polls and being educated about who you're casting a vote for is the difference between... You know, continued stoolism. Yeah, and one, I, I, one of my most thrilling
1: moments as an American was my when I when I voted uh, in the uh, 2016 election for um, th- fucking
0: Hillary Clinton. I, I can't believe I oh, black. that. Jesus Christ! It. This podcast is going to get burned in fire now. Burn it down, <laughs>
1: fucking burn it down. When I voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, having grown up in New Jersey and having lived in New York State, in New York City, in New York State. I've never cast a vote in a general election that, that mattered the way it did in because North Carolina is a swing state. Yep. And maybe we're going down the wormhole here, but this is often the case when I argue against the uh, the Electoral College, is that if you have people, because the, the, I voted absentee, I was in that Muscle Shoals, Alabama, making a record. I remember. And... Those guys went out that day. We had to start that day late, and those guys said, you know, we have to go vote. We don't know fucking why because we're going to vote for Hillary Clinton in Alabama. But voting in North Carolina for the first time when I thought this state could go either way, like, it was exhilarating. And not to sound like a fucking cheese dick, but, like, that's— I love you. (laughs) That is the fucking function of the electoral process is to feel like— I'm fucking making a decision yep. in which when I voted in New Jersey, New Jersey's a fucking blue state. New York is a blue state. Alabama's a red state. Those guys' votes didn't matter. Their their local votes may have, because they live in a college town. My look I lived I grew up in a very conservative part of New Jersey. Those votes mattered. But in a general elect it, it was
0: Thrilling is the only, the best way I could describe it. Uh, Well, there's a sense of purpose. I mean, that's why people mobilized to vote, period, right? Like, I mean, that's why Barack Obama managed to carry both his terms, because there was a sense amongst people that, like, there was a difference that was going to be made. Sure. Um, I mean, honestly, that's what mobilized people to vote for Trump as well. It's like that they didn't like one way and they got very excited to, to change things. Dude, have you ever seen Bill
1: Clinton flags being planted on the beach in a non election year? Well, people are. Pretty polarized homie, I mean, no yeah I, my, my my point is is that for all of his f- faults, which are varied and obviously well documented, <laughs> what Donald Trump has done for his base and the way he's gotten those people um vested in the electoral and not well, maybe not the electoral in the political process, as wrong headed as a lot of it may be in my opinion. Uh, it's
0: unbelievable, dude. I'd like to point out the inconsistencies that carry it as well are amazing. Like we we watched uh, red-blooded Americans lose their minds over a small uh, a small and poorly funded initiative to give cell phones to economically disenfranchised people, right. and every single one of them took a freaking stimulus check mm-hmm. and cashed it. Hmm? And went out and bought a boat. Well, farmer, yeah, <laughs> the, farmer, farmers are taking bailouts, but
1: we're not socialists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but they've been
0: there for a uh, hundred years. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, man, for right. sure. Now I, it's just more on the surface than ever before. Yep. But 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 also, you know... It, wh- Six trillion dollars in stimulus money pumped out, and, like, no one, no one's like, oh, well, that's socialism. But, but wait, it is. Well, but why do they say that? Because it's benefiting them. Because it's benefiting white people. Yeah. It's benefiting everyone.
1: I think. I think that the, if you had, if you redirected those bailouts, which we do in the form of welfare, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, w- to predominantly minority communities, but to predominantly
0: minority communities, then they'd bitch about
1: it. Exactly.
0: Um. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think. I think. I that, mean, I don't think there's a hard you know, answer. I think, fans that, answer that, this I think question. that that ship has fucking sailed. Sure. And if people bring it up to me now, like it's funny because I was once I, before I married Kim, I was ve- I was pretty anti-welfare. Um, I think that social programs in general are, um, they're underfunded and poorly focused. I mean, as anything that the government ministers is, and I think that it's just enough to keep people from drowning, but not enough to actually see them like flourish. And I think that if we, my personal opinion is if we bolstered those programs, they would offer people a chance to actually become a lot more self-sufficient without the programs, but that the programs are not fundamentally bad. But when people argue about it, well, what about this? It's always anecdotal, right? Like, but I know this girl course, who abuses it, or this course. dude who abuses it. I seen that video. Of that guy buying steaks. Yep. Well, well good for them. Good Steak for them. is 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 literally it's a nutritious thing.
1: Maybe, maybe it's his kid's birthday. Look at that guy buying, buying a pack of
0: palmas on Wick. Man, and you're man. like, right on, man. If that's the one thing in his day that makes him happy, <laughs> yeah. But I I think it's funny. Like, we, uh, no one can stand on a podium. Uh, like a, no one can stand on their mini ivory tower and preach anymore because like we've all been the benefit of hundred percent social relief in some capacity mm-hmm. during this COVID thing, and I mean people are like, well, when's the next round? Totally. <laughs> and you're going, hey man, if you cash the check, I need you to go back and purge your Facebook and your Instagram of all the hate that you ever put out and be like, never mind, I'm guilty as well. Not only that,
1: but these are people who are now complaining that $1,200 is not enough money, which it isn't. I mean, yeah, yeah. It,
0: it's a joke. And it goes to show you how out of touch these 12-term <sighs> Congress people are. I don't think it was the $1,200 that made the difference. And I think that, the, like, I mean, I think the real unintended consequence was the, un- the federal unemployment sure. bump, right? Which you see in a lot of small towns where people are like, hey, fuck you. People made $400 a week here working their asses off and now you're giving them now they get nine hundred a week for doing nothing. Right. Like, how does anyone come back from that? Well, no- it's it's the the problem inherent to literally everything we're talking about is the
1: foundation is is, is cracked. Or it's crooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If 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 we were paying if our now now, 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 the argument against a $15 minimum wage is a lot of
0: times that, well, a minimum wage is not meant to be, you know, uh, it's, it's entry-level work. It's not meant to be skilled. Well, but, and the minimum wage argument is also very heavily, like, uh, the cost of goods will go up. Sure. I mean, uh, having some sort of minimum wage, is, minimum wage is always floated up for a reason. Right, you, but, it, but it's not floated up in Congress with... Inflation. Yeah, with inflation or, you know, I mean, any other cost of living adjustments. Right. I, I get it. Right. Um, I mean, I think the the real problem in that argument for me is the assumption that a minimum wage is a livable wage forever for people. Like, and I'm, I am open to the argument, hey, man, it is entry-level work, but the, there's not education. There's not journeyman stuff. Like, I mean, I think it's fucking crazy that in America, the only way for a single mother... With no education to make a living is waitressing, right? You know what I mean, or, or I mean, or stripping. Like, what are you? Right. What are your alternatives with no education? Right. Which I which I agree with, and
1: and a lot of that comes from our parent. And I think your parents are probably a little bit older than mine, but our, that generation in which which puts so much weight in a college education. Yeah, which doesn't actually give you that much anymore. It doesn't, and and not only that, but it costs so much fucking money. Yeah, and 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 the middle class is shrinking. disappearing in a lot of ways for a variety of reasons, one of which is that we no longer put
0: any weight in skilled labor. Well, and we've also put so much focus on connections for no reason. Sure. We have a lot of people who are incompetent who got degrees from Ivy League universities who didn't learn anything. Yeah. They just have a good pedigree, and they're pulling levers on things that they don't understand Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they knew people and got a job. Totally. And I'm sitting here from like the cheap seats yelling, why would you send your kids to a four-year university for two years when... Community college is still super affordable, right. gives you the same education, but nobody wants to say, I went to community college for two years and then I went to a four year university because they're like, you know, it's, it's, there's a weird elitist snobbery around education yeah. that everyone experiences. Yeah, It's not a exception thing. You know, I mean, you could be someone who was raised in a trailer and you still view education on like a hierarchy of of, uh, prestige well again and this is an, this is an anecdotal thing like like you just said but
1: i find in my experience the the people i know who come from less who went to ivy league schools or really good schools duke stanford etc yep. they're much more hesitant
0: to flout their education yeah, tout. Yeah, flout is I think the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Whereas whereas these people now, I went to Villanova, and my father's a physician. You know, we we were we were on the upper side of middle class. At Villanova, I was the poor kid, because my friends and classmates, you know, were the were the children of, of millionaires and sometimes probably billionaires. Yeah, and that's no exaggeration, and so. What I find is that those kids are the first ones to tell you they went to Harvard, they went to Yale.
0: they Well, because it's the only quantifiable accomplishment that right. they have in their fucking lives. Right, right, and they don't right. want to show you their fucking report card. Right.
1: Whereas the other kids who worked their way into the school, you know, not to say that the, the wealthy kids didn't work their way in, but there's a lot of connection, et cetera, et cetera. And again, this is strictly anecdotal, but they're often like, oh, yeah, yeah, I went to, I went to, um, I went to college in New England this is thing i've heard multiple times or i i went to college in the bay area like you could you could just fucking say you went to stanford dude like that's a really great accomplishment yep. um but it, it is like as you said this 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 weird feather in the cap of these people who
0: a lot of times did nothing oh i mean honestly i have I have a very low opinion of education in general, so I probably shouldn't speak. No, I mean— Because <laughs> I'm like—I think educators are good uh, at a, at a certain—to a certain level. I think that, like, especially places like community college, professors are really invested in seeing their kids succeed because there's another bar ahead. They're like, hey, I want to prepare you to go do this thing. When you, and for a lot of those kids, that's, that's a life-and-death Oh, no, for sure. It makes a huge difference. And it's not kids anymore. It really just... Right. It's, a lot of those people. It's a lot of, like, 40, yeah. 50-year-old people that are coming back looking for a way to, like, improve their condition. like To you know, feed
1: their fucking family.
0: Yep. I want to do better. Yeah. The, um, the, son, the son of a congressman who goes to Yale is going to be fine if he never goes to college. Oh, dude, because dad's going to take care of him.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The I, woman who, like you said, was waiting tables and going to community college and eventually enrolling at UNC. This is a li- This is literally a life or death decision because now, with the college to She can get a job that provides. When you look at a four year
0: university system, it's like, hey, I'm here to get a degree. I really enjoyed school so much. I'm staying for a master's degree. And then what do I do with a master's degree? And, like, I mean, I'm not going to name any random. Subjects we'll say like underwater basket weaving. No, no, no. Um, uh, uh, wait, what did Emily? Health behavior. All right, my wife just graduated from behavior. I
1: love behavior. That you're willing
0: to go there. <laughs> <laughs> health behavior. Uh, so I get. Now I have a master's degree. My wife, health... who is it, who is an Ivy League, an Ivy League graduate. She went to uh, University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, not Penn State, which yeah. people confuse often. Yeah, but, but I mean, so I'm like, I'm saying you going. Okay, so you got your master's degree, but you don't really know what you're going to do because right. the jobs are slim in that field. So rather than thinking about how you're going to segue it into another field, you know, it's like well. Maybe I'll get my Ph.D. And then when you get your Ph.D., you're suddenly in an elite group of people that are capable of competing for jobs teaching. Right. And now you're like, well, shit. Which is a whole other
1: fucking right. I know
0: academia. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, and I'm interested in these subjects. And the only way I'm going to get paid to do research on these subjects is by getting a job teaching. And you, find, you suddenly find yourself with a whole cadre of teachers who have never done anything They're very ideologically motivated. They want to do something of significance because Mm -hmm. they realize they haven't done anything, but they have no experience. And I think to myself, like, hey, man, how do we have an entire generation of teachers who have done nothing practically teaching our kids how to do practical things when really, I mean, it's just just like, it feels like there's a super highway into like a masturbation convention where everybody's like, this is how you have sex. Mm -hmm. And you're like... None of you have had sex. Yep. None of you even seen a vagina. Like, why are you telling everyone this is how you have sex when it's the mystery, you know, the whole, like, uh, what was it, the pickup artist thing, where the dude's like, oh, wear yeah. a top hat. Chicks love top hats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and again, to, to bring this all back to the
1: start, would I rather take a shooting course from a master shooting instructor?
2: Yes.
0: Or,
1: or <laughs> would I rather have
0: you... And Brian, well, we are really pretty pragmatic about telling you all the things we don't know, too, which I think is interesting and goes back to the professor uh, aspect of things, which is to say, like, I think that when people are in a position of authority, they have a really hard time admitting that they don't know everything. Totally. And so and you see that in our community as well, which is like there's a lot of guys that they cover up what they don't know with bravado and they point you back to what they do know. Right you know and people are like well why are you like wait, why is Doug so slow at shooting competitions well well i'm still learning how to be a competitive shooter um h- hilariously surviving a bunch of gunfights in afghanistan and iraq did not prepare me to be the most fast shooter right. <laughs> on the planet or to think like that sure um and a lot of guys are like man i just don't want to be i don't want to put myself on a platform where i'm going to be like weighed By my actual skill. I want to be able to lean back and be like, well, I never needed to be fast in Afghanistan. You're like, okay, man, cool. Like, luck had a lot to do with that, too. Sure, (laughs) We're trying to measure skills right now on a clock. Yeah. Like...
1: Well, I guess a better analogy would be, would I rather have... Forget a master class about shooting. If fucking, you know, uh, Boko Haram kicks the door in, would I rather be in here with you
0: or with a fucking shooting instructor who's—it's hard, hard to say. Some of those dudes are pretty badass. I'm I might sh- be like I might be like Ben Stoger, <laughs> handle the light work. Just think of them all as as uh, brown paper targets. You're gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it, it it is, and I and I and I agree with you because
1: I, I remember, you know, taking these courses in college because I really wanted to get into the record business, and taking these courses in college about music production and. Kind of calling some of my professors on their bullshit, where it's like, "Well, cool. What what records have you?" This is the path. Produce. Follow the path. Oh, you've never produced a record. <laughs> you've never worked at a record label. Yep. Whereas some of the most talented people I know in the record business, and some of the most brilliant people I know, never went to one of these half cocks. Cop- Mariah Carey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the, a, 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 and not only that, it's it's it's, and I'm I'm sure you encounter this a lot in the military, but but. But like you had said, you know, this fear of admitting what
0: you don't know. It sucks, man. I mean, I think that the thing that we've all come – I think one of the reasons that we're all reasonably happy in our career fields doing what we're doing is because we've come to terms with what we don't know. Sure. And we can admit that and be like, hey, man. Like- I, I just fucking didn't know the difference between flout and tout. And I'm a professional writer. This is what I do for a living. you know. And
1: I tell people that all the You're time. You're fired. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a word guy. I'm a storyteller. And in fact, word guys and word women fucking turn me off. Because when you read these stories that, yeah, I get it. Your vocabulary, that's, that's you know, it's, it's beautiful. And there are places for these beautiful words. And I think there's nothing... Oftentimes, there's nothing better than a well placed, really perfect word in a sentence, et cetera, et cetera. But you can just tell the these people they strive to use these these words, and a lot of these people, a lot of them are in the academic
0: field. It's called a flex.
1: It's flexing, <laughs> and they're only fucking flexing for each other. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know,
1: and 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 that's always driven me crazy. Whereas,
0: you know, dude, you know, I I. I... Listened to David Joy's "Where All Light like Goats when I was on the last road trip. Sure, and I was like, "This is dark." Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, damn. But it was good, and it was really like it was for everybody, right? And I mean, I understand why he won the Edgar Award. You right. know, I mean, like it was. And that's, I mean, that's what a lot of people like. Quentin Tarantino is a good example of that. Quentin Tarantino, there's a lot of mental
1: gymnastics in his writing, but he's writing the way that people speak to each other. Yeah. And a lot of
0: screenwriters... Trudy the chick with uh, all the shit in her face?
1: (laughs) No, that's my wife. (laughs) That's right. And and, and a lot of writers and a lot of people don't. They don't do that
0: because, again, who knows why? But I'm sure in a lot of instances it's a cover-up for... Well, there's an argument to be made, too, that um, we're racing to the bottom of the barrel (laughs) by writing that way, right? Like, writing purely in vernacular uh, or, like, common speak is... Is literally eschewing all art like we're 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 dumbing down art to the lowest possible level like you remember the arguments like when what was the when the dude made the art like Jesus with feces or whatever it was and uh, people were like people are literally smearing shit on a thing and calling it art You're like well it was the statement also it is pretty lowbrow art
1: <laughs> yeah but 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 why you know the function of highbrow art serves to do two things a it's a
0: barrier for entry it's not, well and it's it's a collection of masters. I think it is worth noting that the art that has stood the test of time is genuinely and truly artful, and it is not something that randomly you or I could choose to be an artist and do. Like, Alexander Calder, like those big, you know, steel edifices, like, yeah, they're really beautiful. And uniquely his, in a style of, you know, structure, like, uh, I guess it's called... um, Sculpture? Sure, I, I sure. don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. But I mean, like, it's very simple, and it's something that anybody could do, putting shapes together, welding, you know, whatever. It's very different than Michelangelo or Rodin, you right. know, where right. it's like, we carved a perfect likeness of a human from raw marble. Well, I would much rather look at a, at a beautifully built cabinet than a piece of contemporary
1: art. Yeah. And that's just me. Well, and there's there are a lot, a lot of, of art people that goes into that. And there are a lot of people who don't feel that way. There are a lot of people, and I understand the value of contemporary art. I understand the value of abstract art, the,
0: the statement that it makes, as opposed to the act of the craft. But what's great about this is that it goes right back to the professor thing, which is to say, artists are making something. Sure. Their hands sure. are getting dirty, and they are very cognizant of a scale like, not a scale, but like a continuum of expertise yeah. to be like, you know, my art has evolved. What I'm doing has evolved. Um, I've gotten better. I've done so well at a certain area of art that I'm transitioning into a different look, right? Like the Well, it's the idea that you have to break the
1: rule. You have to learn the rules to break the
0: rules. Yeah, yeah. and if, what we know about Picasso. Like, right. if Picasso didn't start with right. surrealism or abstract, whatever it is. Like, he was doing still lifes, and he did them well. Right. You know, it's not like... We're not talking about someone who's this one-dimensional artist who did one thing. His style progressed over time. I think that, I don't know if it's cancel culture or social media or what, but I think people all assume that they have to be experts in something the second they start it because they're going to show it to people online. Mm -hmm. And they don't want people to be critical of it when it's like, hey, man, this is my first effort. Like I've been lifting weights for, I don't know, close to 20 years now or 16. I never listened a weight until I got into the army. So right. 16 years. Um, I am terrible. And anytime I post a video, any of my friends who are good at it are like, Hey man, you need some coaching. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so much better than I used to be. And I move so much better. And like, I'm just happy with like some progress and, I think that... Um, well, there's probably stuff in the last 40 minutes that I've said that if I listen to this podcast, I'm probably be
1: like, what the fuck was I talking about? However, the problem with the cancel culture and the social media, et cetera, et cetera, is that this idea that you need an ironclad position on
0: everything immediately. Well, and and because you did one, because you took a position at one point in your life, you right. have to hold that position moving forward. I mean... It's the, the Biden, I don't want my kids to grow up in a racial jungle thing. Right. You are like, I, you know, I think Joe might be a little, uh, I think he might be a little um, geriatric now. Like, I think, he, I think he's having some cloudy thought issues under stress. But also, like, I'm not going to hold it against him that in 1974 he said some, like, kind of racist shit when everybody was saying racist shit. Sure. Like, hey, bud, that was what everybody thought. Well, again, it goes back to the purity test you know yep. no one and nobody passes no one passes it's a yeah. impo- because
1: it's an impossible
0: fucking I got, standard i got ca- i got counseled a- as a 10-year-old at summer camp in upstate new york for casually using the n-word sure because my surrogate granddad used it all the time and i was like what's wrong with it like you know like i'm just here talking and guess what man i've now said i've now admitted that i said it on a podcast <laughs> but if you had tweeted that yep yeah, i'm
1: dead you're toast yep you're toast and and and, and it's a tricky line because, yes, there should be accountability. Yes, people who, you know, act reprehensibly or amorally should be held to a standard. But also, we need to accept the fact that, A, people can evolve because we fucking do every minute of every day. And
0: everybody has nuanced positions on things, man. Right. Just because someone says racist things doesn't mean that they're, like, advocating a reinstitution of, like, slavery of black people. Well, and I think my argument with that is that it's... Well, people are dumb. I get what you're saying. And you want to change somebody's mind. Someone who says something that is bigoted, I don't always think they necessarily even, like, they're, it's usually an emotional thing. Sure. They're responding to something where their feelings were hurt or they're afraid of change. And so to just be like, hey, man, like, uh, not saying that (laughs) isn't going to, like, you just let out an emotional outburst that made you feel better for, like, a half a second. Um, the reality of the situation is that like when you think about how many people it made feel bad Like would you would you still right. well? I don't like them. Hey, you know what? Let's let, let's introduce you to five people that you just said something disparaging about get to know them, right? Tell me if you really still advocate, you know, like Whatever racist comment you just said and then generally people are like well these people aren't like What I know the whole population is like, well, that's weird. How many do you know because right. the population now you now know five and? Let's expand it. Tell me how many of these people confirm your preconceived notions, um, and do you feel now, knowing a hundred people of this subset, that like the two you met who are assholes suddenly justify your broad spectrum approach to it? Right. right. Like the reality is, I think we're all looking for the same thing, which is like we want to feed our kids, we want to be happy, to do our own thing. Sure. And I think that because we've become so polarized about like this is right, this is wrong the gray area of like where people want to be is forgotten. Right, like all the stuff that actually matters to you isn't important because you're so tied to like this one thing like, Hey man, I'm an anti-racist for sure. Do I think that like, uh, destroying corporate property to awaken them, you know, or like burning down governmental buildings like that is a step in unconventional warfare, (laughs) but it's, we're not there yet. And well, they say, are. Yeah. Well, sort of. They've, they've completely ignored the path to change. Well, like, are, you, you're, are, you talking about, are
1: you talking about progressive people or are you talking about people of
0: color? Uh, well, and I, I understand why they're disenfranchised. Don't get me wrong because yeah. they don't have a voice. Right. I think that the point I would say is that there is a path to express the voice and to make a change. And it starts with local government. And I think that people are continually voting, and this is not just a race thing, it's like in general. I think people from all socioeconomic things vote people into office who are working counter to their interests. Hell yeah. And but
1: I agree, my point is I agree with you in, in the context of progressives. Yeah. I believe they're skipping a big fucking step. Yeah. In the
0: context of people of color, I disagree, I think... I don't have a problem with so I don't have a problem with Second Amendment advocates marching on the Virginia State House with guns. Sure, you know what else I don't have a problem with uh, the not fucking around commission. Like I, I'm like, oh man, like they need somebody to train them. Right. They, they need they need somebody to dress them before they leave the house. They need somebody <laughs> to like tell them, hey man, you should be carrying your gun this way. Right. Like here's some basic safety standards. Um, they're mil Qaeda, classic- I believe they're called. Yeah. Well, and- <laughs> They're also exactly what we were talking about about people who are afraid to admit what they don't know, right? Because they haven't, like, they have an agenda. They're like, "Hey, man, we are disenfranchised, and we want to be heard." I think the i i i, I think uh, gun control um, laws affect minorities disproportionately sure. to uh, majority populations, and I think that they're racist laws. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally going, "Hey, man, I think that everybody should own guns." I definitely think that if I lived in a bad neighborhood and my main source of income was was flipping rocks, and I was worried about my personal safety. Would I be carrying a gun, whether I was a felon or not? 100%. Well, and it's like, well, why is the,
1: you know, people ask why, well, the, 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 the Second Amendment uh, um, protests, uh, demonstrations marching in the Virginia State House, they, they're met peacefully. Is that a function of their being white predominantly, or is it a function of them being armed to the fucking teeth?
0: Be- it's hard. It's hard to say. It is hard that. to say. I, in a lot of ways, like I don't, I think there are some like false correlations drawn there, um, dude. I definitely think that we, fundamentally we object to arms black people more than we object to armed white people. Well, that's people. my point. If you allowed the same exact, but I think the atmosphere. I, so I think that the complaints are so different, and the vitriol represented by the complainants is so different. Sure. That, like, like, A, part of it is the preconceptions of the law enforcement that's going, that's being used, you know, the people that are actually exercising the countermeasures. And, and also, it's like, hey, man, I, we have this argument about, like, police violence, right? Where, like, if you are getting pulled over and your immediate assumption is you're going to jail, <laughs> right? Or you've been to jail and, like, it's, you're very confrontational and argumentative, you're going to get a different response from law enforcement than if, like, you're like, hey, man. By the way, I got some warrants out. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, I've been there. Where I was like, I got pulled over by a cop. I was like, dude, like, uh, just, I just got a DUI. This truck hasn't gotten a license plate yet. Right. Like, man, could you just cut me a brain? It's like, dude, you should get out of here and maybe don't drive it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, right on. But, like, is that a function of being white? Eh, probably. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got I a mean, lot I mean, Philando of... Castile's a good example. <laughs> yeah. He told the cop, I have I have a weapon. Yep. In my glove.
1: Glo- I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't remember yeah, the yeah. exact details, but had you done that? Yeah, very well, different outcome, I've, um, I've dealt with some
0: police officers that were uncomfortable with me admitting to having a gun, Yeah, and they took a very aggressive posture, and I remained calm, and I gave them the gun. You know, they unloaded it, and everything kind of got better after that. It's uh, conflict a conflict resolution to two-way street, right? Sure. <laughs> um, but I definitely think that if you're a supporter of freedom in America, you should be taking into consideration the objections of the people That are around you. I also have, I have some complicated feelings about the fact that, like uh, the the Antifa aspect of a lot of this is, it feels very outside engineered. Sure, that it it follows a lot of the core tenets of um of foreign intervention. Sure, like the funding, the agendas, the way, the places it's happening, the way it's happening, all feel. Funded and orchestrated by someone who has a vested interest in keeping uh, a country in some level of social turmoil. Does his name rhyme with some out of here? Uh, I mean, <laughs> dude, the guy's got more money than God. Right. And he's got a huge agenda. Right. And I mean, not just him, but I mean, like uh, the Chinese in general sure. have a vested interest in destabilizing the American economy. Like, uh, I mean, is it a conspiracy theory? Hey, yeah. But also, like, we have documented evidence of Russian... Inter, you know interference in our election process, so why would we not if we saw active insurrection in a competing country, we would absolutely do something like recognize the organization and say, "Well, these seem like good people, even if they're terrible people because right. we, we we have a best interest of our own, sure, so when we have insurrection on the streets, like I always ask myself like what 's the motivation like where is it coming from?" Who is, who's driving this? Like, obviously, there are core complaints. There's a small group of people willing to mobilize and be upset because they're disenfranchised. But, I mean, I think that Americans in general feel more disenfranchised because of social media. Sure. And, you know, I mean, I think that it's very hard for people to have perspective on their own troubles. Yeah. But, I mean, like, we have it pretty good in America. We do. We do. And and I think a lot of this is, 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 is is a byproduct of
1: the staunch individualism of Americans is you know a lot of the goodness and greatness that has come out of America is because of that but now we're seeing a lot of the and a lot of that a lot of it has to do with social media a lot of it has to do with our access to information but we're seeing the dark side of our individualism which is a complete disregard of empathy I, i'm good fuck you yeah you know like and again
0: this goes I back think, to me I think being people a, have been doing that for like all of history. Sure. You know, I mean, I think that But now it's just on display more than ever before. Well, and this is a dissolution of community, right. which that's another topic altogether, which right. is to say like, hey man, like there isn't community anymore. Like you're expected to do everything on your own, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not, I mean, that's not how we were raised to be as people. No, like we crave community. Even if the community, I mean, it's it's why Antifa has a lot of recruits because it's a community. Right, like they're connected. They have similar beliefs. They, they. You I mean they lift each other up? Uh, even if we think it's like if, if I think it's crazy, right? right? I'm like, oh man, like well, they agree. Um, no, there's a certain, and I, I'm probably going to mangle this, but I remember my wife reading a book when she was
1: pregnant with our son, uh, and there's a there's a certain, and again, every, every anecdotal story starts with a, there's a tribe in yeah. Africa, Perfect. but there was a, there's a certain. I don't even know if they're let's say they're South American. All right, cool for diversity's <laughs> sake um where they don't have a they don't understand the concept of a crib because the baby is never put down until the baby can walk the baby is being held by a yeah, ma- like a rapper a woman yep. in the tribe the baby is the she sleeps on a woman she you know and it's the sense of community that that you know and, and i remember her telling me that and bringing that example to me like isn't this an interesting thing that we've you know and 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 to go to the other extreme whereas you know in the in the developed world you know, where we're not even allowing people maternity and paternity leave. Or if we do something fucking crazy like two, four weeks of maternity leave. Back to the salt mines. It's insane. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane to me that, you know, you're expecting these women
0: who just first of all spent the last 10 months... If I if I take a ten pound shit, you're not going to see me at work for three weeks. I'm
1: out, dude. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm, my feet are up on the couch, and, and not you guys to mention, don't
0: understand. You should see the size of the shit. I took a picture <laughs> of it. It's, you, get, you can't expect me to come into work.
1: You know, but 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 again, it's it's just this idea, like you said, this erosion of community. Yeah. This er, and, and this this individualism that has led us to put our
0: super ne- aggressive dog
1: put our needs above all else. And, and when I say ours, I mean mine, not even my family's. Yeah. Oftentimes, you know, and, I, and I, I wrestle with this a lot, uh, having a son who's two and a half years old now. It's like, um, I don't – neglect is not the right word, but there are times where I realize, like, oh, shit, I need to pay more attention to my kid.
0: My iPad clock is always a reminder. Yeah. I, get a, I get a reminder every day. Today, Scout's usage of the iPad was up thirty percent. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> uh, you are a piece of shit. <laughs>
1: it's not wrong. No, it's but 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 it's because you know our our uh, uh, the, the, how how slavish we are to our work to our careers. But all of that comes back to this idea of individualism because that is. Those things are so intrinsic to your
0: identity do, do as you a Do you remember person? when Obama said, you didn't build this, that whole fucking, uh, you're like, when he was talking about, uh, you know, it's like basically a thing to community. I can't remember the quote now, but uh, people were incensed because uh-uh. they were like, we did this on our own, this individualism thing. And I'm like, man, I think everyone would be well-placed to go back and be like, hey— I fell flat on my fucking face sure. along the way a bunch of times. And because people cared about me or because I had a relationship, somebody did something kind or someone helped me out. Right. And I'm like, hey, man, like none of us got where we are on our own. Like, I mean, maybe there is maybe there is a guy somewhere like, you know, the cowboy from uh, The Big Lebowski. Right. Who's like. Oh my God, these dogs, man! (laughs) Like I love this. Like she's crying to leave the room. I let her out, and now she's just out there barking and playing. I don't know what's going on. Um, but yeah, so like the idea that this dude just lifted himself up by his bootstraps. Mm -hmm. We've created characters in fiction that have done it, and people look at that like, well, if so so and so can do it, then that's not a real person. I should be able to do it too. (laughs) Right? And you're going, um. Like, no, man. Like every single one of us should be mindful of the fact that like there are things we can't do. Right. And I think that COVID. I mean, with the, the childcare stuff, like it was highlighted. Like, holy fuck, how are we supposed to? Yeah. Schools coming back, man. I don't know. how We're having enough doing trouble that. when it's when it's summertime, dude. But 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 those people
1: who the people who need the people who claim the most individualism are often the people who needed the most help. Yep. Those are the people who were born on third base, thinking they hit a triple, the people who were, you know, got into those Ivy League schools because of that. Whereas it's the people who literally have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps are the people who recognize the fact. And a good example of this, again, this is anecdotal, but a good example, of this is my father. My father came from a very poor family. His father was a bricklayer. His mother was a cafeteria worker. None of them had educations. He was a second generation American. Um,
0: went to medical school. My mom's dad was a fucking janitor at the local school. They're land barons of freaking right. Sampson County, right. but he held a job as a janitor at the local school for like 20 something years right. and he went there every day and worked while he was managing properties, while he's squirreling his money away to buy land. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, that's a bootstrap state. And
1: and I don't know how your your folks are, but like the way my dad explains it, he went to medical school in the Dominican Republic. He
0: questionable <laughs> his, school,
1: his school is actually now a, It's a prison No sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had trouble getting his license When he moved here from New York Because they were like this is not an accredited school And he was like well it was accredited obviously Also he's been an intensive care physician For 30 years never been sued Yeah learned uh, a couple things along yeah, the way he, Whether or not he's got a diploma He's a good fucking doctor I went to high school man but then I started to do surgeries <laughs> <That's right. laughs> But he would be the first one to tell you The people who helped his ass along the way. Yeah. It'll be the first one to tell you it was my mother who didn't pursue her dream as a writer to support my father. His own parents who sent him, my mother's parents who sent him money, et cetera, et cetera. So it's these people who have this community around them
0: who actually did live the fucking bootstrap story. Well, he can identify the community, too. Right. And I think that a lot of people now have a hard time identifying the community because we're all so, wait we're, we're all passionate about things we're. We feel disenfranchised about, mm-hmm. and we're all islands, man. We spend a lot of time by ourselves in a house on social media well, communicating to people through messages. We're connected.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean,
0: I have more friends than anyone could ever imagine on social media. I don't always know who they are. Right. And I don't always, like, I don't know what's going on with them. Um, I mean, fuck me. I work with guys, and I don't even know a lot of their personal struggles, even though I see them every day. Right. Um, which I'm sure is exacerbated in your community because the idea of veteran suicide, guys uh, keep shit to themselves, you know? right? Right. Which and you know you you bring it up, bring bring up a thought, and people are like, "Well, shit, man, you go, you need to toughen up," or like, "All right, we'll go to the doctor." And you're like, well, well, then that goes badly, you know. Right. So yeah, it's hard. The, the the what seem like the greatest communities are also places where people hide a lot of stuff. Right. Right. Um. So I mean, uh, advocating, I. I think it's good that people are getting their voice out. Um, I think that we have we have interesting reactions to people speaking unpleasant truth, right? And I think that people, because it counters like what we believe, it becomes you know it's like well fuck them, they're the enemy, You're right? Like, hey man, like well, also this 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 inability to accept that there is no reality.
1: Everyone has their own reality, yep. which is what I what, what I was alluding to before is is I, I I don't think that you or I are in any place to tell a black person the how
0: they should express their rage. Well, no. they shouldn't be looting. Well, you well black people aren't getting mad at white people who flip cars when like when the Vancouver Canucks yeah, win the fucking Stanley Cup. E- exactly. Gun. You're like hey, let's burn this motherfucker to the ground, right. and we're like oh. How, and so how the, the, charming we ride
1: it at another fucking basketball event. <laughs> the only shared reality is something you had said earlier was that we just want to be happy. We want to be able to feed our kids and we want to be able to do something that makes us feel like we're contributing yep. whatever we we're belong. contributing to. We belong. Right. Yep. And so that's the only shared reality. And so when somebody says XYZ is happening, people have such a fucking hard time recognizing that that could be happening while your experience
0: could also be happening. Dude, the best conversations you can ever have with anybody are when you talk about institutionalized racism. Oh, yeah. And the first immediate response, well, I'm not a racist. Like, okay, man, like, we're not talking about person. Like, I don't care if you ever said a racist slur. When I say institutionalized racism, I mean the system is aligned in a way that treats minorities unfairly. Unintentionally. It's, I mean, maybe it was designed to do well, it was that. Well, it's intentional. Yeah, it was designed that way, <laughs> you know, 50 years ago, but now people are still participating. We do it this way because we've always done it this right.
2: way. Right.
1: Well, the system it, is broken. No, no, no. The system is doing exactly what it's supposed yep, to be doing. Exactly. And you may not be willingly part, I mean, you may not be knowingly
0: participating in it, but you're willingly participating. Yeah, because it's it. part of the system, right? right. And you're like, well, just follow the rules. And like, well, why do the rules exist? Like, I'm a bit. ask anybody who's known me my whole <laughs> life. I've been questioning the rules. Like, these rules are stupid. Why do they apply? Why are we doing them um, as an adult? I'm still sitting here going, "These rules are stupid. Why are we following them?" But, but, but again, these 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 constitutionalists
1: and these people who claim to love America so much, the cognitive dissonance of the idea that America is a living experiment that you should be fucking questioning the rules. Yep, that's the that that's what. It's literally what our founding fathers asked us to do. You yeah, know, yeah. it's it's, and we've had this conversation before when you bring up amendments. It's, it's in the fucking word. You can amend them. And they are meant have, to be changed. you a problem, that's
0: what I mean, that coming back full circle to the Second Amendment, I tell guys all the time, like, I'm super pro all amendments. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm super pro Bill of Rights. I'm super pro Constitution as a whole. And my thing is, if America's changed so much in 200 years that we need to reevaluate uh, individual weapons ownership in America, then, like, make an amendment, man. Right. Change the Second Amendment. Yeah, we have the ability to do it. I think it's ironic, though, this distrust of government, the conspiracy theory things right. that are building. Like, I think that the Second Amendment, more now than ever, is super sacrosanct because you're like, hey, there's a group of elitist pedophiles that are literally telling us what to do every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty popular conspiracy theory, right? And we're just kind of taking <laughs> it. We're just saying, OK, I don't know how to take it, dude. The whole QAnon thing, too, or like. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, like, seems like a pretty plausible argument. <laughs> like, honestly. That's why people are convinced, because they they are they can you know, be conceived. Like, I just want to see Jeffrey Epstein's flight log, because it seems like everybody's on it. Everybody's on it. They're
1: all, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, there is no, you know.
0: I just want a free ride in a, millionaire, in, a, in a billionaire's private jet. I get it. I didn't know that we were going to be banging kids. Right, right. I was <laughs> just here for the fucking, for the ahi tuna. I just, there's no such
1: thing as a... How do I put this? Uh, there's no. Uh, this is an extreme saying, but there's no such thing as a good millionaire.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you,
1: once you get to a certain point, like you start to indulge a little bit of, and you have to have fucked somebody over. Now, granted, I'm not one of these people who thinks millionaires shouldn't exist. Fuck that. We live in a capitalist society. If I ever have the opportunity to make millions of dollars that my children's futures, that my health, et cetera, et cetera. Can't wait for that bottom of the barrel.
0: Mike becomes a millionaire. Like, it's going to be like a fucking It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode. We're just going to
1: be taking shits and wiping our ass with $1,000 bills. But it's 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 the idea that eventually, at some point along the line, you know, fucking kids is a whole different but you but you had to
0: fuck <laughs> someone over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't justly become a millionaire. Well, and I think that like what we see with the Epstein thing is a logical progression of avarice and greed, which right. is to say like when you get off on fucking other people over or, you know, making yourself feel powerful, there is no limit to the shitty things that you'll do to other people to make yourself feel powerful. Not only left not only that, but what's left. Again the goalposts keep getting pushed. Second amendment. <laughs> but, like but to say, Hey man, like it's not about gun fetishes, although it partially is, right. because it's a power thing, right? Um, but the, to me, it's funny. I think for a long time, I was like, oh, responsible firearm ownership, you know, like the ability to hunt. Like, I tried to find a lot of gray area. And then, like, as I got older, I was like, you know what? Never mind. Like, literally, the Second Amendment's purpose is a, as a check on tyrannical government. And, like, just the idea that it exists is all that needs to exist. Sure. It doesn't need to be there's organized people that are, like, capable of holding the government responsible. It's that the people who are in government should probably rightfully be afraid that the American populace at some point might rise up. I mean, if we can't handle disorganized riots in major cities about social issues, what do we do if there's a concerted effort to depose the government? Like, I mean— yeah, we have the US Army. Yes, there's gonna be a shit ton of bloodshed. Like I said earlier, people aren't ready for that. It's everyone's gonna die. Well, it's an awful experience, right? <laughs> I'm Period. Sure. Like everything, like all of your basic things that you take for granted go away. Right. Like, you know, trash guys don't come by the house because they're afraid the trash truck's gonna get blown up. Or I mean look at Northern Ireland. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was business as usual, but holy shit, a lot of people died before they got to some some reasonable compromise. Well, people can't be bothered to put masks on. You think they're going to be bothered to have their electric shut off for a My, week or their Mike, heat? Mike's wearing a mask. I am not. Uh, well, we're, far, we're, we're at
1: least six <laughs> feet away. But, but but something I've always said, too, to people, to, to, to friends of mine who assume because I'm anti-me shooting guns, they automatically assume I'm I'm anti-gun, which couldn't be further from the truth. I don't need to hear your fucking excuses. I don't need to hear your—all you need to tell me is I dig guns. Yep. You have a constitutional right. I, I'm protecting my home from inv- – well, you know what? My ADT system – you should see my house at night, dude. It's lit up like fucking John F. Kennedy International Airport. That is far more um, – uh, uh, much more of a safeguard against home invasion,
0: a well-lit house. I like to sleep. I know that I've I've gone toe-to-toe with some pretty bad dudes over the years. They all go to sleep. Yeah, and you know when I go for them. Yeah, when they're asleep. When They're asleep. Yep, and yeah. you know like you're laid up with your your honey hole, <laughs> and you got seventeen kids in the other room. And guess what? It's perfect time to come get you. Yep. I mean, you're gonna sleep. You know, you have I mean? to sleep. Yep. But 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 all you need to this, and this is just me. All I hey man,
1: I dig guns. I dig hunting. I understand the bond between a father and a son and the, and the process of hunting or, or a woman and a son or whatever. you know, I, don't know. I know it's a very male skewed <laughs> sport, but, 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 but that's all you need to fucking say. You don't need to justify it. You know, I, I understand if you want to argue the existence of the constitutional well, it's amendment itself.
0: Because I think that it's, we're in a really weird place when it comes to gun rights because generally speaking, I think most people that want to own guns are really poorly educated. Sure, And the people who are violently against the ownership of guns have a fundamental lack of understanding of what the gun is. Right. I tell people all the time, like, and they fucking think I'm ridiculous, but I'm like, I can kill a lot more people in a closed space with a hammer than I can with a gun. Right. Because like being able to use a gun, like you think, people who don't know how to use guns, like, well, it's an ultimate power thing. As soon as it comes in your hand, you're just killing people. Right. And, like, it's unlimited killing. And you're like, man, you have to be proficient. Mm-hmm. Like, you could line a room up with people and put a gun in an untrained person's hand and tell them they got 20 rounds to kill as many people as they want, and they're probably only going to kill two. Because right. they don't know what they're doing, and they're not skilled. And even a skilled operator of a gun understands, like, the limitations of what goes into that, right? And there's been certain situations, like the New Zealand thing, where a guy creates just literally a target he can't miss right. and he's just being a fucking lunatic. But I mean, you have a sword or a hammer or any weapon. Like if you have intent to kill other people, you can make that shit happen and you can do it pretty fucking effectively with any tool because yeah. humans, the, the human body is is vulnerable to, <gasps> to damage. Sure. Um, But like, I think that like the big push here for everybody should be education. And I mean in everything, right? Like we talk about like, oh, well, sex education is so important in preventing STDs and teen pregnancies Mm -hmm. and like having kids understand what they're actually doing. But guns, man, let's like shove that in a closet. And I'm like, no, man, you should teach everybody how to shoot. They should be proficient at it. They should know like, oh, you're scared of guns. It's like being scared of heights. Like we take you to a challenge. We do high ropes challenge courses with kids like, hey, confront your fear. Don't be afraid of an inanimate object. Like educate yourself, learn how to use it. And then make a decision like you do. Well, I don't know if I'll ever own a gun or shoot or again, but I have like I have educated myself in what's going on. I know my limitations and my feelings on the subject and like I can have an actual conversation with somebody as opposed to being like that's scary. Right. They kill people. They should go away. Right. And I'm like well I think
1: what people's fears are in a lot of ways, you know, knowing a lot of people like this is, you know, the only function of a gun is to kill someone yeah.
0: or kill something. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily. I mean, we can talk about sport and target shooting, but sure. like really. But a knife has another function. Truthfully, target shooting is just practicing for killing. Someone, right. right, right. Like, right. I get it. Well, I could drive a car into a group. OK, yes, but a car has a different function. A hammer has a different. Yeah. I want to go to mass killing driving training. <laughs> <laughs> which is just me in a rental car and a bunch of like mannequins. You guys a, don't do that in the yeah, uh, just drifting and is, just hitting as many mannequins as possible <laughs> with the back end as yeah. you're fishtailing out.
1: No, it's 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 it, 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 you know when you look at these countries. Actually, uh, uh, I lived for a short while after I graduated from college before my mother uh, initially was diagnosed with cancer, and I had to kind of rush home. I lived in Italy for a while, and one thing I learned about Italians
0: and learned about many countries in the world is um, mandated military service. Yep. Yeah, uh, Switzerland's fucking same way. Like, there's, a, like, a high degree of responsibility that comes with people just learning the basics of how to use right, a gun. Right, I right. I mean, it's like, hey, man, I get it. It's a little scary. And also, like, it's not once you figure out what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that, I mean... Uh, it's also worth noting that basic military training makes people very scared of guns. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you, had, the rules are so strict because privates are so fucking dumb, right? Like you get you get your rifle and you have to hold it a certain way, and you got a guy yelling at you,
1: "Don't hold it any other
0: way." Like, you well, because be...
1: what's the barrier for entry
0: to join the military? Was, uh, well, eighteen years old. Yeah, I was say. and that's it. Low. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and, you... and, and and you watch it, man, all the time. I mean, I got a forty year old dude in my basic training class that put like put his helmet on consistently backwards. Can you do that? Yeah, it's uh, no, I um, could. Join the army today? Um, how old are you? 30. I'll be 38 in October. I think there's a cutoff right where you're at right now. Oh, well, I mean, you probably could join the guard if you wanted to. I got a kid, yeah. Well, I mean, it's cheap health care, man. $200 a month for your whole family. I know, but I, I a Cadillac plan. I cry when I leave them for the weekend. <laughs> Trust me, it'd be only the weekends. That's <laughs> why story I'm just to tell you I sound like a recruiter now. That's right, but I mean, like, I get it. Emma, I have great news. <laughs> you go there, like, we had a really relaxed when we went to the range, we assumed that you weren't an idiot. Right. And we have two guys who know kind of what they're doing, who know how to stay out of your way. And like, if you were to flag us, I'm like, I'm just gonna push the the barrel a little bit out of the way because it's two guys on like two guys on one. It's like the ultimate yeah. gay fucking thing. Um, well, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I actually did flag you at one point. I mean, I'm pretty sure I was pretty chill about it. And it wouldn't I, be the first time it's happened. I
1: told this story to Emily yesterday. <laughs> we were, we were hanging out, and I was like, you know, when when went... I said, Doug was very calm. He said, you know, for example, if someone were to flag me, I would ask them very calmly, uh, (laughs) can you please stop flagging me? Because if I asked them aggressively... Um, then they might shoot me. Then they might shoot me. And I, <laughs> and, and I said to you, and I left this out of the story because it seemed a little bit uh, excessive, but I said to you, what's flagging? And you were like, well, it's, it's, it's what, what, you, just what you just did to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck.
0: And, and you pointed out, see if I had freaked out. you know. But- well, Africans, like training uh, host nation guys, too, you get pretty used to getting guns pointed at you randomly. Right. <laughs> so you're like, all right, man, like I'm just going to step out of the way now. Um, I I think that people... Like, demeanor in those situations means a lot because people, when they sense that you're stressed out, (laughs) they become stressed out, especially because they're probably already stressed out. So you look at the way that we teach privates in basic training, right? I mean, like, it is everybody's anxious. You're going to this place where you have to perform to certain bar shooting pop-up targets. And, like, you know, people have never done it before. And you got drill sergeants yelling at you. And people are, like, physically controlling you on the range. And it's hard for people to learn in that environment. Um, But it does, in a lot of ways, instill a sense of respect. around firearms to begin with and then you know and that's the that is the gradual build-up and what sucks is that there aren't enough chill green beret firearms instructors to go around so it's not like you can just be like hey i want to learn how to shoot i'm gonna find a green beret who isn't going to get freaked out when i flag him and he's going to talk with me about the importance of gun safety uh in a casual manner right nobody's volunteering to go to basic training to learn how to shoot guns, right. like it'd be like, hey, uh, this dude's gonna treat you like shit. <laughs> he's super mad because he doesn't ever get to see his family. Uh, he hasn't had sex in weeks because like his wife's cheating on him with some dude down at like the local watering hole. Uh, his kids hate him because they haven't seen him, so he's taking out all of his rage on you as a private. You know, like right. on this, top of that, you have to do thousands of push-ups. This drill sergeant <laughs> is ruining my life. Like you don't think about it like this poor drill sergeant's life is already fucked, right? Right. But and you're like, um, like those the, the way that it is taught in the military is not a it is not there's not crossover. We can't just be like well, we should train everybody the way we train people in the military because like that's, nobody's volunteering for that. Right. You know, I mean nobody's gonna be like, ah, I just wanted to learn how to shoot guns. I'm gonna go get treated like shit for a week, right. <laughs> you
2: know, like right.
0: okay, no. Um, I gotta take I gotta take a piss. We're talking about like education. Yeah. Um, I think it's super important. I don't know what the approach to that is because there are people who are fundamentally going to be objecting. I mean, there's so people the emotions drive the argument so heavily. And I really it's one reason why I appreciate what you wrote so much was just to say, like, um, yeah, they're scary. I don't have a knowledge of what's going on with guns, but also, like, eh, let's like let's check it out. educate ourselves because, I mean, I think what, one of the things that scares me the most about guns, and this is why I struggled with the argument for so long, right? There's this dude named Clint Smith who's just a fucking straight-up bad motherfucker who teaches firearms instruction at a place called Thunder Ranch. Um, I took a class from him when I was 17 with my dad. Is he a mi-
1: military guy? Uh,
0: he was a Marine in okay. Vietnam, and he was a cop for a really long time. Okay. And Clint has this, like, really gravelly voice. Uh, he's like a fucking—you know what I mean? But he says stuff all the time. It's like fucking fire. He gives zero fucks. He's just like— a, just challenging the norm everywhere, all the time. I go fuck your bullshit. You know, he's just a tough old guy, right? And he said this thing was like, how many people I know that I trust to be behind me in a dark hallway with a gun? Fucking zero. You know, he's <laughs> like, I don't nobody. I look at all these people, you know, and he's like, I get it. I understand why people are afraid of guns, but also like, fucking educate yourself. Right? Like, learn, be better. And I see so many people that that are visibly firearms fetishists that want to flex like pictures of guns or like they have a gun and they feel powerful and it becomes this thing, right? Well, they're not, they're still not educated. Just finger fucking it and playing it around and playing with it. Isn't actually like making yourself a master of the basics. And I think that those people scare the fuck out of people that are afraid of guns. And it's like equal parts, the gun and the person behind the gun to them. And they transfer that same lack of knowledge, um, casual disregard for safety to other people. Or other guns, right, and that's like the way they see it, and you're like, "Hey man, I'm with you, <laughs> those people make me super fucking nervous, sure
1: <laughs> but sure. because you could walk into a store and walk out with one of those things in a uh, lot of in a yeah, lot of
0: places. sort of yeah sort of i that's another argument right is I think that um I think the process of procuring a firearm is more difficult than people perceive it to be, sure, um the gun show loophole eh, okay, it's a thing, but um in general, the rule the law as gun show transfers go is still like well give me a picture of your id we're doing you are you an in-state purchaser right like we there's some regulations yeah yeah. people just generally disregard them right in a lot of ways straw purchases um like buying a gun for someone else doing the transfer for them like it's pretty common and i think that the letter of the law is um strict there the spirit of the law is interpreted by the users which is to say well i'm going to buy a gun for my kid for his birthday you right. know like and you're breaking the law right. <laughs> you know like i get it um, but who's checking um you know i mean the reality is you have to you are lying on the sheet where you're buying it cuz like you and you fill out your form right. to buy a gun uh, that is kept on file at the gun store, and you run a background check with, you know, NICS, like the National Informational Center or whatever it is, Sure, sure. Um, that you're, uh, you're saying that you're the purchaser of that firearm. Okay. So, like, you're just... Like, it would be like them asking you if you've been convicted for domestic violence, and then they don't catch it in the background check. You can say that you haven't... If you have been. Right. But, you know, it's on... It's there. Yeah, it's on the purchaser. Right, They've right. asked the right questions, right. right? Um, But, yeah, like, education is... The thing and uh, i mean an idiot with a gun is just i mean it's just as scary if he's a fucking green beret or if he's a regular dude there are plenty of idiot green berets with guns that i mean that we go into shoot houses with and i'm like man could you fucking make sure that dude (laughs) is like he's like off-site or like is is he the spotter for our fucking sniper (laughs) team you know what i mean like we find a place where there's a guy who's just not as good as everybody else and you're like hey uh Let's, like, let that guy not be in the breach, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, we see those differences. I, I think that um, culturally we've created this this um, idea that there's, like, there's gun people and then there's, like, not gun people. That's what I'm saying. And When I, I,
1: when I, when I, t- when I told people about this story, I got, like, flack from it. Like, you're fetishizing them. You're doing, you know, you're... And these are people, again, these are... Because these are, where I grew up and how I grew up and, and what I've done in my life, I've... Well, you grew up in a place where the, a lot of people had guns, right? I grew up in a super conservative place where a lot of people had guns. So I am very adept at, at considering multiple sides of, a, of an argument. Yeah. As are a lot of people I know. But then there are a lot of people I don't. Who are these people who all guns, we should have no guns in America.
0: Well, it's weird that those people come from places where guns are a problem. Right. And hilariously, education... Or like responsible gun ownership are at like an all-time low. Right, right. Where it's a place where not only are they worried because of like low socioeconomic gun crime, they're also worried about fearful, uneducated, wealthy people. Right. i like in a, in a, in a descriptor. Stop there. Who buy guns out of fear to quote unquote protect themselves? Like those two jackholes in uh, St. Louis. In St. Louis, you know, like. Felony charges against those people. I mean, good Lord. I mean, (laughs) if they wanted to flex that way, they need to move to Texas. Because Texas is, I think, the only state in the union that allows you to use a gun to protect your property without fear of uh, bodily harm. Oh, really? Yeah, or your neighbor's property. So, like, if you see somebody stealing a TV from your neighbor's house, you can smoke them and it's legal in Texas.
1: What was that movie with Chris Pine where they were Texas...
0: Bank robbery. Oh, dude, that was such a good movie. Great movie. A it,
1: hell or High Water? Hell or High Water. Yeah.
0: My favorite line of that movie,
1: he goes, man, I hate robbing banks in Texas. <laughs>
0: it is, anybody can shoot you there, man. It's like, oh, you're stealing something? Cool, it's my it's my duty as a, as a as citizen. A, as a Texan. Yeah, to shoot your ass, right? <laughs> um, and, like, yeah, everywhere else, like, maybe you should be thoughtful about right. how you how you decide to protect your property, especially when people are, like, barely on your property line and are peacefully protesting with signs.
1: And didn't that guy have the exhaust pointed at his chest?
0: Oh, uh, exhaust? Exhaust?
1: or whatever where the I bullets come out whatever no,
0: the, the barrel uh, in this he had of the barrel he... piece
1: we highlight how little we taught Mike at the range <laughs> was, granted because of medium's fuck up it was a year and a half ago
0: yeah wait he he had it he basically had it he was holding it the wrong way i mean yeah
1: we'd look like an idiot
0: but that's being said i mean he had he was <laughs> it's it's interesting cuz wouldn't the shells have expelled into his chest is what i'm asking oh uh, no 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 he would wouldn't hurt have. himself or okay. anything i mean he okay. just you know he'd look like an idiot he just like a probably chair. wouldn't have hit anything okay. um that being said like i That whole fucking thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, those people are the people that make everybody afraid of guns. But I mean, also in these armed protests, you know, you have like, I just saw a video yesterday of a car running one of the like highway block deals. Was that the
1: guy that got killed in Texas?
0: um, Dude was in like a Jeep and one of the tires had been flattened and like he just ran through it and hit a bunch of people. uh, And the headline was that like three people had been injured two people were killed or whatever and i was watching the video and i'm like are there guns going off and i'm like yeah someone was shooting at the car one of the pro, like one of the Yeah protesters. i think
1: that, I think the guy in the car killed
0: someone well if you look at i mean from what i was reading it, it, the dude that was shooting at the car shot two people that were protesting because he didn't have any like awareness of like the backstop. Like, hey, where are you shooting? Like he's shooting at this car and instead he's hitting people that are there protesting with him. And you're like, dude, you need to be, what is she doing? Well, that's, and that's, and that's where
1: a lot of the fear comes from is that there is no basis for education. No. And that any jackhole could ostensibly get a gun. Yep. And for, you know, because it is our constitutional right, and now these people are shooting, this guy is literally shooting into a crowd of people he's
0: protesting alongside. Oh, and people. what was the dude with the AK that got smoked? Yeah. <laughs> he fu- fucked around and found out. Like, right. literally, a dude shows up, carries an AK to a protest, and gets fucking burned down right. when he tries to use it. Right. And you're like, hey, right. that's what happens. And. That's the biggest thing that I really am worried about, about the protesting, right? Is that like the government is using rubber bullets and gas to disperse protesters that are doing property crime. Um, protesters upping the ante and starting to return fire or carrying guns like as a demonstration. If it segues into violence, there's a lot that can go wrong. Sure. Um, I feel like if you're going to protest in America in the current stage state of things, You can do consistent protests to get your message across without risking the escalation of having a freaking, you know, Kent State level thing going down. And I think that, like, there's a lot of variables that go into, like, people bringing guns to protests where you're like, hey, yes, it's allowed, but wild card, you know what I mean? Like, there's going to be dudes in your group who are going to have a negligent discharge. I mean, I've seen like four or five videos of guys at protests having negligent discharges. And I'm like, how are the people organizing these protests not making sure that the people that are carrying the guns aren't carrying loaded guns?
1: Well, that's right. Do you have a gun? Yes. Is it loaded? Yes. Are you prepared to use it? Yes. If you check
0: all those three boxes, should you be bringing that gun? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, the point is, like, has anybody thought of the secondary and tertiary consequences of using a gun at a protest? Well, Sure. I mean, I know that they think they have. Right. But like actually. Yeah, it's the same thing as people carrying guns for self-defense, concealed carry. I tell anybody I anybody I know that concealed carries. I'm like, hey man, if you ever pull that motherfucker, you better be ready to use it. Right. And you you better like know that you're going to jail. Yeah. Like the gun is going to be taken as evidence. You're gonna be charged with something. Do you have a legal defense fund? Like are you, are you subscribing to one of the legal defense um, like organizations that will send a lawyer right. to defend you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, are, it's, yeah. like it, you should be buying gun insurance. Right. If you're going to carry a gun and your intent is to use it to protect yourself, even if you're 100% in the right, you're still going to find yourself facing charges. Sure. You're still going to find yourself dealing with the fact that the gun's going to be gone for a long time as evidence. Right. And you're still going to court. And the question is, at the end, the core question of a lot of it, is that worth it? I mean, the real question is, in my mind, and, and we've talked about this before, is what, what de-escalations did you ignore because you carried a gun? Right. You brought a gun. Now, like if, you, if you're a nail, every problem looks like a hammer, right. right? If you're carrying a gun with the intent of defending yourself every day, a lot of problems that you probably would have walked away from or actively avoided or you'd be like, oh, man, i got Spidey senses going on right now. I should get in my car and go. But – um, now I have a gun. I'm not that worried because I can defend myself. Also, now I'm putting myself in a worse position where I'm going to choose violence. I mean, it's not a universal thing. Well, it's one of the but things changes that changes people's mindsets.
1: And it's one of those things that you see a lot of these, um, a lot of these guys who are now anti-gang activists who used to be gangbangers, one of the things that they practice and preach is verbal de-escalation. Yeah. Because they recognize that that's the first place a lot of these kids go. They go straight for their gap. Or
0: whatever you know, and they and I was disrespected, and now I'm going to show you I'm not a bitch, right? Yep. And that's the way you're going. You're going to kill somebody. I don't think that's a gang thing either. I'm just a gang thing. I think that that's people in general, well, right? Sure, sure. Like you talk shit about my wife. Like the videos of those two dudes with no shirts on and the shot the the shockwave shotgun. That's they were in like a fight in an alley in like Amarillo, Texas. Yeah. A dad and son, and they end up smoking some dude that was just like I mean, he and his wife were escalating the situation continuously, right? And the two redneck dudes were, like, ready. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, dude, they straight up murdered the guy. Oh, dude, yeah. And it's like, okay, everyone in the situation is wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> everyone. Right. And it ended really badly. And, I, you know, you wished it hadn't. But also, like, hey, man, if you want to not get shot, you don't just continue to challenge the dude with a gun to shoot you. Right. <laughs> like, right. Hey, man, you're not going to shoot me, you right. fucking pussy. Right. You're like, good, right. right. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Take your shot. That, that, that happened to
1: a girl, um, a young woman, In when we were living in, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, around the corner from us, a girl and her boyfriend walked out of a bar at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. They got held up, and basically the girl got in the guy's face. Yeah, you're not going to do this? Like, hey, man, maybe that, this isn't the way you... <laughs> yep. He hit her, hit, her, hit her in the stomach, and she died You know, within, within you know an hour or whatever. On the, I don't even know if she made it to the hospital. She died on the street on the fucking Lower East Side, because she said to a kid with a gun who had no training, he was a young, you know, I think he was a Puerto Rican kid or something, you know, it's uh,
0: uh, not that it matters, but it goes, it, no, it, we, way to be racist. Mike. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is People the way bo- Puerto Ricans now have more ammunition. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that, no, no. It goes back to the idea of what we were saying before. of, of he's, he's not Puerto Rican. He's New Yurican. That's right. That's right.
1: And um, different island. And because, she, you know, because
0: she stepped to this guy. Yep. But, I mean, that's in general problems, right? Like, conflict, de-escalation's gone. Right. People don't think, oh, maybe I should, like, maybe I'm in a bad situation. This can't happen to me. Why are you doing this? Fuck you. Get away from me. Like, you know I mean? All right, man. Well, how much uh, is social media a function of that? I mean, uh, who was
1: it? Jake Denman put it on on his Facebook page. Like, you know, speak to people
0: in this forum the way you would speak to people in real life. Yeah, well, I mean, because, like, it's easy to just get balls over the internet. And yeah. then in real life, it translates because that's what you know. Right. So talk to me like that in person, motherfucker. Yeah, for sure. We are at almost two hours. Um, I feel like bottom of the barrels always go long because this is a stream of consciousness. Sure. Um, Mike and I didn't talk about filthy stories or anything um, super interesting. In that in that realm, <laughs> we talked about all the problems of the world in one podcast. We didn't talk about them. We figured them out. Uh, I mean, we, we have no solution. <laughs> That's the best part, right, is when you're like, hey, let me tell you about what all these problems are. Uh, also, I have no solution for you. So um, I foresee, honestly, with you being local, that we could actually dive into all kinds of crazy stories because, like, you know, touring and Mike's literally one of the most interesting dudes I I got, have, I've ever met.
1: I got stories, man. Yeah.
0: I mean... Moving from New York City to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Tell you about the time we stayed at a whorehouse in Arkansas when we were on tour. But it, the that's, next Bottom of the barrel podcast is, is whorehouse stories between <laughs> Doug and Mike. Like, I, I literally thought it was a strip club. I did not know what happened. No, it was
1: actually a motel. No, no shit. And when we pulled up, the whole second floor, probably about 3 o'clock in the morning, was just full of ladies of the night. Good for them. And uh, that was when we said, okay, all the gear's coming into the <laughs> hotel room tonight.
0: No, How weird. There's not a guitar left in the van tonight, <laughs> fellas. Uh, yeah, so um, check out the, do you know what month the, of guns and ammo this is coming out of? It's in? actually in one of their um,
1: properties called uh, AR-15 Magazine. Okay. Um, which, did we shoot any, we shot AR-15. Yeah, we did, we maybe? shot AR-15. Okay. Um, which I thought would have been an ultimate irony. It's the August, I want to say 4th. Edition of AR-15 magazine, okay. which you can get at any gas station in America, basically, um, which is why they were able to pay me so well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, And uh, I don't know if it's going to be online yet. They said they would be cool with me posting an excerpt of it online with a link to buy it.
0: I'm not sure exactly if they're
1: gonna if they're gonna put it on. I hope they do because I think it's a really. Fun if they're
0: not putting it online, they're idiots. So I'm just gonna go out there and say it. Like yeah. Once once the thing hits the newsstands, like if they're not utilizing it for, I mean, most of those magazines have a pretty good idea of how to leverage right. digital content. Right. Um. But yeah, like we'll we will link it because we're in it. Right. <laughs> so right. people will see it. But uh, I think it's actually a really interesting piece. Um, and I really appreciate that you took the time to like, you know, kind of examine your own. Lack of understanding or, you know, like a lack of experience or whatever, and like weigh it against your opinion. This is something we should be doing with everything. That's right. That's true. Like, (laughs) if anyone out there is listening. Yeah. Just, uh, I have a really strong preconceived notion about LSD. And so I just have to try it. Take it. Take it. You know, it's how I've convinced them all to do anal. Uh, (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) On that note, (laughs) bottom of the barrel podcast. Uh, We will be back uh, and live. And doing that thing.